New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Today I'm hosting Shambhala Buddhist teacher Ethan Nickturn, and he's the author of The Road Home, A Contemporary Exploration of the Buddhist Path. Ethan, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thanks for having me, Justine. It's my pleasure. You translate the word, or you point out that the true translation of the word Buddhism literally means awakeism. So can you describe what you mean by awakeism? Yeah, well, the you know, the the reason for um thinking about fully translating that word cuz buddha is a sanskrit word and ism is an english um suffix onto that word is to really say what does that word mean and rather than thinking about it as a guy who lived 2500 years ago or as some kind of mythical or mystical eastern spirituality really what is a person who's pursuing this path or these body of teachings um what are they after and and it's a quality it's a it's a quality of experience which is to be awake which means aware which means open which means compassionate so I find that demystifying the word by making a full translation opens it up to a lot less mysticism and a lot more just practical. Oh, that means somebody who's trying to live an awake life in the world. And it's it seems much more resonant and available for some people to really translate the word rather than leave it in this hybrid space of Buddha and ism, which is two languages. Right. And also it seems removed from our everyday life, the practicality of our everyday life, because there might be, I suspect, a good reason to be awake these days. Right, right. And I I also think, you know, I'm really interested in the aspects of Buddhist thought as a psychological, philosophical, and ethical system that anybody could make use of. You know, I don't think every single person is going to get interested in every aspect of the Buddhist teachings. It's a really broad body of teachings. But the idea that uh, there could be some humanistic values in the tradition, some psychological and ethical tools that could come out, and really saying what's the basis of those. And I'm hoping that the notion of living an awake life is something that we could at least all agree would be a nice thing. Maybe we don't think we can do it. Maybe we think we're cynical about society's ability to wake up. But at least saying like, oh, that would be a nice thing. And it's a very human thing. It's not a religious or um, mystical thing. It's just saying I'm trying to be awake. Like right now, as we're talking to each other, I'm just trying to be as present and as mindful and as empathetic with our interaction as I can be. And that that's what makes me a Buddhist, you know. I'm thinking when you say there's a broad range of teachings within the Buddhist tradition. I mean, it's huge, the the amount of knowledge. So there's lots of room there, and yet some people might come at it in, in a more fundamentalist sort of viewpoint. And I think that's what I like so much about the way you approach it. It seems 
open in some way. It's not a narrow path is what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Well, one of the things I say in the book is every tradition has its purists, you know, even like baseball has its purists who want to keep the rules the same way as they always were. And any spiritual tradition has those as well. And that's great because you need those people to really hold the context of the tradition. But also when we get to purists, there's a sense of just validating a very narrow perspective. And there's a lot of perspectives, especially within the Buddhist tradition. And I'm really interested in what could be made useful. And I don't work with a lot of people who are looking for a new fundamentalist spiritual tradition or religion, you know, thinking about uh, the Pew poll that came out that says that the number of millennials who are identifying as none when asked their religion is skyrocketing very quickly. But I work with a lot of people who basically say, or just say straight up, if I'm anything, I'm a Buddhist. You know, we live in an era, I'm late generation X, where there's a, you don't really want to identify with anything because we see that identifying with fundamentalist dogma can be very um, exclusionary and it can actually stop us from waking up. It can actually stop us from communicating compassionately with others, from learning about others, from being present in a larger society. But at the same time, people are looking for some humanistic tools of how do I live a mindful and compassionate life. And so I think Buddhism's in this funny place of you don't want to call it a new Asian religion coming to the West. Maybe a few people are looking for a new religion, but the people I work with either have a spiritual tradition like Christianity or Judaism, and they want to bring some meditation or some of these ethical tools into what already works for them. Or most of the people I work with are really more on the agnostic or even atheist end of the spectrum. And they want something meaningful in their lives. They want a path, but not one that requires them to just buy into a bunch of new ceremonial and ritualistic symbolism, unless it's meaningful, unless it's personally meaningful. And so I think it's a time when trying to present a new spiritual tradition is not really going to work because so many people are not looking for that. We're really looking for more humanistic, interdependent values in the 21st century. I think that there might be a time in our spiritual, let's say, unfolding for some of us that there was a time when it felt very comfortable to have some sort of spiritual thought that, or, or religion that would say, this is the way it is. Right. And, you know, you can trust this. You don't have to think about it anymore. We'll just hand you this scripture and this is it. And then some of us have kind of outgrown that, so to speak. It started to feel kind of narrow in some way. And what you're talking about, too, the downside of it for some of us would be it's so open-ended, it's going to be a process for the rest of my life, that it's right. nobody's going to come down, no Savior's going to come down and say, okay, this is it. In that way, there is a personal responsibility for a continuance of discovery. Right, right. Well, Chogyam Trungpa, the founder of my tradition, the Shambhala tradition, said that Buddhism is a non-theistic tradition. And sometimes people think that that meant that he said, there's no God. But he didn't say atheistic tradition. What he was really talking about in non-theism, this quest that human beings have 
of feeling like something outside me is going to save me and is going to do all the hard work of trying to figure out life for me. So I was honestly thinking like Generation X and millennial culture, like romantic comedies are our theism. Like the idea that Prince Charming or Princess Buttercup um, is uh, going to swoop in and make us feel spiritually blissful or saved is a big story that some people really have to overcome. And so I think that's what we're looking for is how do I lead a more open-ended life? At the same time, I think we need some ceremonies. We need some rituals because our society is composed of ceremonies and, and rituals. But I think we can't just inherit those as a kind of top-down approach. Like the ceremonies we engage in have to be something that have personal meaning and personal relevance. And then, then our practices and our rituals become really profound because they're so meaningful. But they're also not exclusionary. It's not like saying Buddhists put their fork on the left side, Christians put it on the right side, because that means Buddhists and Christians aren't going to eat together. You know, it's really how do I have ceremonies and rituals in my life and practices that open me up to other people rather than say, we're these people, you're those people. I can remember a moment when my husband, Michael, and I, we were at the deathbed of his mother. Mm. This just reminds me of the rituals, if we practice certain rituals that have meaning for us. And in that moment of death and after she passed, I was very surprised that Michael burst into tears. I mean, really deep, 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 deep tears. And for me, I was on the other side of her bed. And for me, I automatically just started chanting, and it was a Buddhist chant. I just, uh, om, money, padma, om, om. It just came out of me automatically, and it felt so right. And he's crying over there. His mother has passed, and I'm chanting. And it was a very magical moment where ritual might serve when we've done it, and it has meaning, and then it becomes a part of us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's really the approach to spiritual practice that I'm most interested in, which is really where the Shambhala teachings come from, which is when ritual becomes a part of us and it doesn't exclude us from other people and it doesn't exclude us from our secular mundane life in the world. You know, like when you hand somebody cash at a checkout counter at a grocery store, you're basically bowing to them. You know, it's, a, it's the same thing. A handshake and a bow are the same thing. So when we have rituals that actually connect us, they become sacred. The Shambhala approach is when you stop viewing your spiritual life as this sort of set of practices that are separate from your secular engagement in your life and society, and you view it as an integrated, complete thing, your experience of life and both the very, you're talking about a very deep, sad, but also very poignant and celebratory moment of the passages of life, um, your experience of those moments, also your experience of just like a Wednesday afternoon in California, mundane Wednesday afternoon, all become sacred, you know? And that's one of the things I say in the book is getting coffee with a friend could be just as sacred an experience as an ayahuasca ceremony, you know? Exactly, exactly. Well, Ethan, I just want to thank you so much for being part of the New Dimensions Cafe and sharing your wisdom with us today. It's been so great to be here. It's really wonderful to talk to you, Justine. Thank you, Ethan. I've been speaking with Ethan. He's a Shambhala 
Buddhist teacher, and he's the author of The Road Home, A Contemporary Exploration of the Buddhist Path. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, ethannickturn.com, and he spells his last name N-I-C-H-T-E-R-N, ethannickturn.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Thank you so much for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you to please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a 1,000 hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.